Welcome back to Bible time, Colossians 2, verse 11. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision which made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would illuminate our hearts and minds to your word, Lord God. Bind Satan, drive him back, Lord God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we rebuke the devil and we ask you, Lord God, to drive him from us, Father God, and not allow him to have any access to our minds and our hearts. Satan, the Lord, rebuke thee in Jesus' name. For greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Father, for Jesus' sake, please enforce the victory of the cross against the devil and help us to understand your word, which is a miracle in and of itself, Lord God, because the natural man receiveth not the things of God things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto Him. Lord, help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians 2.11 comes right in the middle of Colossians 2. How many of you knew that already? You figure that one out? Okay. Good deal. We're getting a long way. So he says here um, in Colossians 2, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Now we studied that before we began the Bible time recordings and we looked into that in a lot of detail. And we, what we saw there was that all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, all those riches come through the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. And isn't it interesting there that he gives us the three, the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. So Paul's exhortation to these people, to Laodicea and to the church at Colossae, his exhortation is that they might know Jesus Christ more, that they might be filled with the, the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. He says to them in verse 5, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, and that is a little s spirit. He's talking about um, in the human sense. He's with you in the spirit. Join in beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. He says, I'm so happy to hear about what you're doing. We're pulling the same direction. We're going the same way. I've heard about your steadfastness, the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Now, Paul had not been to Colossae. He had not been to Laodicea, yet there were churches there, churches that had been started by God. And Paul here what desired by inspiration of the Holy Ghost to write this letter. And God inspired this letter to the church at Colossae as a special exhortation from God Almighty himself through the hand and the mouth of Paul to the church. He says here in verse 6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. It all begins with receiving Christ Jesus the Lord. And receiving Christ Jesus the Lord has everything to do with the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. You cannot receive the Lord Jesus Christ until you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you cannot believe on the Lord Jesus Christ if you believe 
part of who he is and you deny other parts of who he is. Jesus said, if you are not for me, you are against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. So Paul goes on and he says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus Christ is the beginning of our faith. Jesus Christ is the continuation of our faith. And Jesus Christ is the end of our faith. Jesus Christ is all in all. So verse 10 says, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, this might seem confusing. Why on earth would we go from talking about Christ or being spoiled to all of a sudden being talking about circumcision in the middle of this passage? And to get that, we need to do a, a quick review of circumcision in the Bible. Go to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17. Here God is dealing with Abraham and gives him the covenant of circumcision. Now, this is a very important passage of Scripture, as all Scripture is important. This is um, a special passage of Scripture. It says here, When Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me, and be thou perfect. Which, by the way, Jesus Christ said in Matthew 5, 48, Be therefore perfect, even as I, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So God goes on in Genesis 17, verse 2. Speaking to Abraham, and I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God." And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man child in your generations, he that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house, and he that is bought with thy money, must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from this people. He hath broken my covenant. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be, and I will bless her. And give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nation, nations. Kings of people shall be of her. 
Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is an hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Now we're going to pause here in this text. Um, who is this Ishmael guy that's, that's just come in here? Now, if you go back to Genesis 15, real quickly, we have the Abrahamic covenant. Now, the covenant that God made of circumcision was a very, very specific special um, covenant with very specific parts to it. Genesis 15 here, the, the, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. This is the Abrahamic covenant. God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham believed God. And God counted it to him for righteousness. Now, at this point, Abraham is not circumcised. In fact, God says here in verse 7, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give this land to inherit it. Now, God, in another passage, would have the children of Israel say the words, um, recite the words that my father was a Syrian ready to perish, basically. You can look it up and get the exact word of God on it. But here, God is even pointing out that Abraham is part of a country that later the nation of Israel would consider Gentiles. They would consider them Gentiles. So Abraham came out of what God called the Syrians of Ur of the Chaldees, and he called him out, and he made a covenant with him. He made a promise to him while he was yet an uncircumcised Syrian. He made this promise, and the promise was based upon God's word and God's word alone. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. He made this promise that Abraham believed in verse 6, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now here in the rest of 15, we don't have time to study out the Abrahamic covenant today. That is not what we're looking at. Not our. It's, we're just, we just need to have enough of an idea of what's going on that we can understand the references the bible is that god's bringing together here we have studied it out before and lord willing will study it out again it's very powerful and very good um there there was the smoking furnace and the burning lamp that passed between the two parts of the animals that had been laid out in the manner of the day they would part these animals and pass between them for a covenant this is also found in other places in the scripture um now in chapter 16 of genesis Sarai, Abraham's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. So he goes into this maid, and the result is Ishmael. 
God gives Abraham this covenant between him and his seed. He says, between me and thy seed after thee. And this covenant, he says, is an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And this is the body of the covenant. Verse 8. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be thy God. The covenant of circumcision that God gives here, he says in verse 9, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generation. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. So this covenant of circumcision was given as an addendum to the Abrahamic covenant where God says, And these shall all the nations of the world be blessed. And he gives a specific covenant to a specific seed of Abraham. And that is known by the fact that he gives a specific location to that specific seed, the land of Canaan. Now we know that God gave the land of Canaan to Israel. And, the, and he gave it to Israel, not Esau. Israel is Jacob. He gave it the land of Israel to Isaac, not Esau. Esau is Edom, and God gave him a whole other piece of land. So this land, the promise, the particular promise of God the, with the covenant that was based in circumcision, that particular covenant had to do with the national people group of Israel who had become known as the Jews. God gave this covenant to the Jews, and though Ishmael was circumcised here in chapter 17, you can see that his circumcision in the flesh did nothing for his heart, for his spirit. Look down here, and Abraham said unto God in verse 18, O that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he begat and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time next year. Now, this was the beginning of a family feud because Ishmael did not like the fact that God, now this, you may say I'm reading into it, but you can say what you want. Ishmael mocked Isaac here, coming down in the next passages of Scripture, Genesis 21 and verse 4. Go there quickly. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear with me, that all, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. So God said, Just because of you, Abraham, I am going to bless this kid. 
but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now here God is making, a, he's, he's narrowing down the field and he would continue to narrow down the field. From Isaac and Ishmael, the field would be narrowed again with Jacob and Esau. Then God would reject Esau and he would choose Jacob and the seed would be called in Jacob, which would be Israel. And it would be narrowed again as the seed of God would the promised seed of God, which, by the way, this goes all the way back to Genesis. And we'll have to touch that some other time, probably. But in any case, the seed of God would be would be narrowed down this the covenant seed, the special seed would be narrowed down again as the. Reuben would defile his father's couch and be rejected from the birth birthright. Levi and Simeon would commit an act of horrible cruelty and lying. And through that act, God would remove them from the place of carrying the seed directly and physically. And it would be through the tribe of Judah that the deliverer would come, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, through Jesus Christ, the Abrahamic covenant is fulfilled and these shall all the nations of the world be blessed only through Christ. It's all about Christ. It always has been all about Christ and always will be. So this covenant of circumcision, though, was given directly as a physical marker to a physical people who got a physical people of a physical land, or got a physical place of a physical landmass and nationality, a people group with a nation and boundaries and land. And God gave them that covenant of circumcision to set them apart and to separate them. Though Ishmael had been circumcised there in Genesis 17, his circumcision of the flesh did nothing for his spirit, as was evidenced by his mocking of Isaac, his mocking of the son of the promise. Now, go to Acts 15 real quickly. There's many other passages on circumcision, but we only have so much time and we've got to keep moving. Now, circumcision itself, if we look at Moses, who's coming up next in the Bible from Genesis, um, get, there, get there up to Exodus, uh, whenever Moses circumcised his son, it says he took a sharp rock to do it, and his wife said, A bloody husband art thou unto me, and got mad at him. Left him over the whole ordeal for a time being till her father-in-law brought him, till his father-in-law brought her back to him. But in any case, the the circumcision just to put it as succinctly as we can if you don't know what it's about you're probably pretty young you'll figure it out but in any case it's a bloody ordeal that has to do with cutting off a piece of the flesh the cutting off of a piece of flesh and that's the concept that God was teaching and he was teaching through it and we're not going to get into all the pros and cons and arguments for and against and all that kind of stuff that's irrelevant to the study that we're in today we're looking at how Christ in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So let's keep the main thing, the main thing. Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Here the church has been formed. Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect sinless life, died a sacrificial death on the cross, was buried in a new tomb. The third day came and he rose from the dead. And he paid the price for all our sins with his blood at the mercy seat in heaven. 
and he came back and he spoke to his church. He was seen alive of them for many days. He had already told the Jews, you will see me no more until I come in my kingdom. Some people wonder why if Jesus came back from the dead, only his disciples saw him. But Jesus told everybody flat out before they even put him to death that they would not see him again until he came in his kingdom. He said, you're gonna, he says, they're going to kill me. I'm going to raise from the dead. But he told the Jews, you're not going to see me again till I come in my kingdom. So say what you want to about it. It's exactly what Christ said he would do. And he always does exactly what he said he would do. Now, certain men here, chapter 15 of Acts, and certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Now, what's that all about? Well, Moses brought in circumcision in the code of the law. Now, I say Moses, but Moses was a prophet of God. God said that he spoke face to face with Moses and put his words in Moses' mouth. So while Moses was the mouthpiece, God Almighty spoke through Moses and codified the laws of God for the nation of Israel. There were the moral laws of God that have always been in effect and always will be in effect, like thou shalt not kill thou shalt not steal thou shalt not bear false witness honor thy father and thy mother there were laws that were specifically covenant laws with the children of Israel like circumcision and like the Sabbath day that he said over and over again is a is a token between me and the children of Israel over and over again that he said it and he codified, God codified the law through his man Moses and gave us these different aspects of the law. There was the sacrificial law, the ceremonial law, there was the dietary law, these different aspects of God's laws that all had their own purposes. And they, all of them, by the way, show us Christ. You, Christ is through it all. The Old Testament is a shadow, a foreshadow of Christ. It shows in shadows what God would expose in the light in the New Testament. And if you don't understand that, it, the Old Testament becomes, a, you don't get it. It's, you can't see it. It just becomes this strange book to you until you see Christ. And when you see Christ, the Old Testament comes alive. Now, Acts 15, these men, they said, you can't be saved unless you get circumcised after the manner of Moses. Now, these were a bunch of Gentiles that had gotten saved. Acts chapter 10 was a monumental moment in the history of the church where Peter took the gospel to the Gentiles for the first time. It was something that was unheard of. It was something that the Jews couldn't fathom. The Jews had gone beyond the law of Moses, whereas in the law of Moses, they were not allowed to marry any of the Canaanites. They weren't allowed to make peace with the Canaanites. There were certain people that they were specifically banned from having any fellowship with, but they were not banned from the rest of the world. In fact, God told the nation of Israel that he chose them to be a nation of priests. Now, we know the Levites were priests, and we know the sons of Aaron were priests for the Levites, but the nation of Israel was chosen by God for the specific purpose, the specific stated purpose of being a light to the Gentiles, a nation of priests. God's purpose in Israel and in the Abrahamic covenant that in thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed would be that the nation of Israel would be the ones to bring in 
not through their own works, but through the work of God to bring in the Messiah, Jesus Christ the righteous, and show the world God's holiness, God's righteousness, the judgment of God against sin, and then finally the solution of God for our sins, Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. Now all this was supposed to happen if they cooperated with God without them becoming apostate and falling away from God but that is not what they did. They fell away from God and they added to God's word and they added to his restrictions and they had taken their separation beyond what the law said and they had gone to the point where the Jews were not even allowed to go into the house of a Gentile. They would not even go into the house of a Gentile. They had become so much more separate than even God had ever told them to be. They had gone beyond the law. This is why Jesus Christ, and here we're going to get ahead of ourselves if we're not careful, this is why Jesus Christ was constantly accused by the Jewish leaders of breaking the law. Not because he broke the law, but because he did not live by man's extra-biblical laws that they had added to the Bible. And that all ties in with Colossians 2, where he says in this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. And he says, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So where Jesus got in trouble with the Sanhedrin, with the scribes and Pharisees, is where he was breaking man's laws that man had added to God's laws that man was teaching as God's laws. Christ never broke God's law. We'll touch that Later, we've got to keep moving. Lord, help us today. So, certain men came down. Again, beware, lest any man spoil you. And certain men came down from Judea, which came down from Judea, taught the brethren, and said unto them, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. These men, had, these men had the credentials. They had the education. They came from the right city. Judea is the area, the region of Jerusalem where the gospel had gone out at the very start at Pentecost. And here these guys come up to this Gentile church, this backwards bunch of backwater heathens who had just recently believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and gotten saved, and they walk in there in their long robes and their religiosity and all their rules and regulations, and they want to come in there and spoil the church of God by adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse 2, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, that means they got in a rip-roaring fight. They weren't throwing fists, but boy, were they going after it, going and getting into the Bible. These guys would quote this verse. Paul and Barnabas would quote that verse, and it's going back and forth. There's confusion. There's difficulty. By the way, that's not all bad for the Christian side of it. It's bad for the men that are doing the bad work, but the Bible says to earnestly contend for the faith. To earnestly contend for the faith. And there's a time for some shouting and some sweating. Whenever it comes to the word of God. To just get down to brass tacks and say. Thus saith the Lord. This is what the Bible says. And get in it deep and get in it hard. Now. That's what Paul and Barnabas had done. No small dissension and disputation with them. And they determined that Paul and Barnabas, that's the church determined, that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Now, 
They got up there to the apostles and elders. Verse 7 says, And when there had been much disputing, again, get a good old King James Bible. Read these passages out for yourself with the context and fact check me on the word of God. Don't trust anybody who just gets up and starts spouting Bible verses. Not me, not anybody. Get a Bible, read it for yourself, take it in context. Let the Bible define the Bible. The Bible defines its own terms. The Bible interprets itself. It doesn't need commentary. It doesn't need anything but itself. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And what? And believe. And God which knoweth the hearts bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles, which, of course, Simeon is Simon Peter. It says to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. And he quotes the Old Testament. After this, says Acts 15, 16, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols. That means stay away from, don't partake of, keep away from. He says, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. And they go on and they send that word. It says, We'll go on and read just a couple more verses. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send men of their own company to Antioch, which is the church where this whole thing had started. You see, Antioch had, had trouble too. Everybody did. And as long as there's people, there's going to be trouble. With Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barnabas, and Silas, the chief among men among their brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The, and here's the letter. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Now this Antioch, by the way, is not the Antioch in Greece. This Antioch is on the coast just north of Israel. And you can look at a map and find it. For as much as, uh, it'd be an ancient map. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. And by the way, that's Peter and James and John and the apostles saying, Our beloved, 
Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, well fare ye well. And we already t- touched on verse 16 where he says, Let no man judge you in meat or in drink, but I can't wait to get back to it again. Lord willing, we'll look at that meat. We looked at the drink, we've got to look at the meat, Lord willing. Here he says to abstain from meats offered to, or from pollutions of idols, and that gets into the meats offered to idols, which he says right there in verse 29, how can they say both things and they both be true? No time for that today. Another day. Here we go. Got to keep moving. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the, the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. Now, Go to Galatians 4. Got to move quickly. Just a whole lot of scriptures. There's a whole lot more. We're just trying to touch the parts that most directly relate to our passage of scripture. Galatians 4.19. Galatians 4.19. Paul speaking to the church at Galatian by inspiration of the Holy Ghost. The word of God through Paul, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you. Tell me ye that desire to be under the law. Do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. That's of course Isaac and Ishmael. That's right. The one by the bondmaid and the other by a free woman, but he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. That's Ishmael, the one of the bondwoman, born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth the bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. That's under the law. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth, and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. And there he's quoting Isaiah 54, 1. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Again, we're talking about being spoiled. We're talking about beguiled with enticing words. We're talking about traditions of men, rudiments of this world, philosophies, vain deceit. 
see it's coming in. And Paul says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. This has absolutely nothing to do with liberty to sin all you want to. This has everything to do with being free from the law of Sinai, the sacrificial laws, the dietary laws, the specific covenant laws to the Jews, including circumcision, free from these covenant laws that no longer apply to us because we are the children of promise in Christ. And we're going to get into that more. Uh, Verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Now here, Paul is a circumcised man. How can he say if you're circumcised, Christ has no effect to you? He's talking to people who are getting circumcised to please God, to possibly get a better place with God or to be saved. And he's saying if you depart from faith in Jesus Christ and turn aside after what another place would say vain janglings, you turn aside to these vain janglings and you start following after law instead of following after Christ, Christ shall profit you nothing. Your position in Christ, the power in Christ, the life in Christ, the victory in Christ shall profit you nothing because you've fallen from grace is what he's about to say. He says in verse 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Hopefully we've got almost got a good foundation for Um, Getting back into Colossians 2 and looking at it real quickly, but deeply. Romans 4. And why do we do this? Because the Bible defines the Bible. I'm not interested in what a bunch of people say. I want to see what God said through holy men who were moved by the Holy Ghost. And when you take Bible and compare it to Bible and line up Scripture with Scripture and let God define His own terms, understanding can break through the darkness. So here in in Romans chapter 4, quickly. Romans chapter 4, and oh my word, where do you start and where do you stop? Let's get into it. Romans 4.1, what shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now who remembers we read that? In Genesis. Raise your hand if you remember. Okay, thank you. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now that word justifying, we use that word justifying in a false sense. We say that a man is justifying himself when he has no right to. Oh, you're just justifying yourself. Yeah, you really did something wicked, but you're just trying to make it sound good, and you're justifying yourself. That is not the sense that God uses the word justified in, and you can check me on it. Go check every verse in the Bible that deals with justified. See what God says justified is. God in the word of God uses the word justified to mean judicially. 
by the judge of all the earth, Jesus Christ, by God the Father, by the Holy Ghost, cleared of all guilt by a judicial act in the court of God based on pure and perfect justice being fulfilled completely. That's the, that is the concept of being justified scripturally. So it says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. To make godly the ungodly would be the effect of that. His faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon, here it is, the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also. Now here the Jews were counting themselves as the circumcision and they were counting the rest of the world as the uncircumcision and Paul's going to address that by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? When did God say Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness? Hold your place in Romans and quickly go back to Genesis 15 and look at it. Genesis 15. Now, Genesis 17, we read it. That's the covenant of circumcision. That's when Abraham was circumcised. Genesis 16, they come up with the scheme to have a baby by the bondmaid, which was surrogate motherhood at the time. We won't get into all that. Genesis 15, God gives the covenant to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, And he says here in verse 6, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now this Syrian, who was not even known as a Jew, who could not be called a Hebrew, he was called a Syrian in the word of God, was an uncircumcised Syrian. Later the Syrians would become the greatest enemies of Israel at one point in history. And here was a Syrian, the father of faith, uncircumcised, and he believed God and God counted it to him for righteousness. Back to Romans 4. So here the question is asked us, how was it then reckoned when God reckoned faith? It says, Go to verse 9. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Can you answer that question yet? When was faith reckoned for righteousness? When did Abraham believe God and it was counted to him for righteousness? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Uncircumcision, that's exactly right. Verse 11, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that what? That believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision, to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised it's all about faith it's all about believing God believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved it says for the promise that he 
should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect, because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So here is God's blessing to Ishmael. You say, what about Ishmael? You say, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Yes, God said that. Yes, it's true. But God also promised a blessing to all the seed. How does all the seed get blessed? The blessing to all the seed is by the faith of Abraham. Faith Believing God, taking God at his word, trusting the veracity of the one speaking, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And now Ishmael can also be blessed. And Ishmael, who was cast out, can now be brought in. Hallelujah. And how is he brought in? He's brought in by faith in Jesus Christ. This is God's provision. That's how Edom's going to be brought in. And by the way, that's how, just as Peter said, even the Jews themselves would be brought in. For the law worketh wrath. For the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And who is the us all in that passage? He's talking to people who profess the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviors, as their savior. As it is written, he goes on in verse 17, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead. And there again, there again, we are dead in trespasses and sins according to the scripture. So he says, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believeth in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Get this, he was a hundred years old, Sarah was ninety, they were both dead as far as procreation is concerned they did not have the ability to have children anymore they were past the time but the bible says in verse 20 here he staggered not at the promise of god through unbelief it looked impossible it didn't make sense he didn't have the willpower to have a baby he knew in his mind he couldn't have a baby he knew in his feelings he didn't even have the feelings left to have a baby He had nothing left to have a baby with. But he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. He did not trust his soul, his mind, his will, and his emotions. He turned his back on his own experiences, on his own intellect, on his own feelings, on his own will. And he trusted God Almighty simply because God said it. He said, I'm going to trust it. He was strong in faith, the Bible says, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. God said, he believed me, so I am going to make him righteous. And boy, does that make the devil mad. 
The old accuser that brethren gets up there. Oh, Abraham's an old Syrian. Oh, Abraham was with that Hagar instead of his wife. And that was such an immoral act. What a wicked thing to do. That old Abraham, he lied. He lied back there to the Egyptians. He lied over there to Abimelech of the Philistines. That old Abraham, look at the mess he is, God. And God says, Abraham believed me and I'm going to count it for righteousness. Hallelujah. Whose side you on anyway, if that makes you mad? Because it sure makes the devil mad. It says here, And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall, righteousness, it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Quickly back to Colossians. Hallelujah. Colossians 2 and verse 11. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. I want to just tell you all for a moment that I was dead. I was tired. I was whipped. I was exhausted. I was having a hard time studying. I didn't have anything to give you and I didn't and I knew it. And I told God coming into this thing before we even started, I haven't got anything. If you don't do something, there's nothing going to happen. And I don't have bread for these people. I don't have the word. And I don't have the power in it. And God is quickening my heart. And God is giving us what we have asked him. And that is his word being illuminated to our hearts. And he'll give it to you too if that's what you want. If you want it. If you seek him, you will find him when you seek for him. With all your heart. All glory to God. Colossians 2.11. We're in him also. Now let's break this down real quick. Look at it. We'll be done. In whom also is, brings in the context of all the previous teaching of in Christ. And we've got a lot of that teaching recorded um, there on the Bible Time podcast. You can look it up. We talked about the other verses in depth um, and certainly not exhaustively because this book is an infinite living book. It cannot be exhausted. It just the, the deeper you dig and the harder you study, the deeper the book gets because it's an infinite living book the infinite living word of God. So the context of the previous teaching in Christ, in Christ, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Ye are circumcised, which this was said to a church full of uncircumcised Gentiles, by the way. He says, in Christ, ye are in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Now, circumcision made without hands is, means it's talking about an inner circumcision. The Old Testament spoke of circumcising the foreskin of your heart. God told the Jews, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. He said, you're circumcised on the outside, but your heart still is nothing but flesh. Now, he says here, what is this circumcision not without, made without hands? In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. 
and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. This is a cutting off, a casting away. That's what circumcision is. Taking something that is of no profit, that is unclean and is in the scriptures and taking that and cutting it off and casting it away from you. Now, how many, some of you probably don't know what I'm talking about yet, but those of you that know what circumcision is, how many of you want to go do a circumcision and then put that stinking thing in your pocket and carry it around with you? Paul says, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. This is a cutting off, a casting away, a turning from completely of the sins of the flesh. And how is this accomplished? Is this accomplished by fasting and prayers and crawling on your knees and doing penance? No. Look at what it says. By the circumcision of Christ. This is not done by the force of the will. This is not done by strength of the reason of the mind. This is not done by feelings of hatred towards sin or by the feeling of elation at victory over sin. Though all of these things will be the result of circumcision of Christ This is not done by those things. Those things result in Christ circumcising the body of the sins of the flesh. Now to understand how Christ does this, let's look at how Christ did it. Let's look at the circumcision of Christ. Go to Luke 2.21 quickly. We are wrapping up. Lord being our helper. I pray everyone listening to this will be blessed by the Holy Spirit of God with illumination of the Word of God, the will of God, the Son of God, Christ Jesus. Do it, Lord, for Christ's sake. Luke chapter 2 and verse 21. This is shortly after the birth of Jesus Christ. Check the context yourself. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. God help me here as we close this out. The first part of the circumcision of Christ is a physical circumcision. The eight days were accomplished according to God's law. Now, Jesus kept God's law. There is a trending lie that Jesus defied and changed the law. I told you guys we'd get back to that when we talked about it earlier. Now, this trending lie has been around ever since the scribes and Pharisees themselves falsely accused Jesus Christ of breaking the law almost 2,000 years ago. It's been around a long time. In fact, that's their main accusation against Christ. This is what what they accused him of over and over again was that he was a sinner and that he was breaking God's law. The word of God says that sin is the transgression of God's law, the departing from the breaking of God's law. Now, Matthew 5, 17, Jesus preaching what's known as the Sermon on the Mount He said here, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And there the jot and the tittle are punctuation marks in the Hebrew language. He says, down to the punctuation, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so... 
He shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, but whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness, go beyond, be higher than, more righteous than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now many people accuse Christ of breaking God's laws, and I submit to you the plain fact that they are no different than the scribes and Pharisees and have joined the ranks of the scribes and Pharisees themselves. They'd probably be welcome on the Sanhedrin because they are twisting the law of God to accuse the Son of God. Jesus said, Whosoever shall break one of these least commandments one of the most unimportant of all the commandments and shall break them and shall teach others so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven and we'll see what God the father says about God the son and whether or not he's least here in a little bit he says here ye have heard that it was said by them of old time or in verse 21 follow along thou shalt not kill and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka, which is to call him worthless in, in essence, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. So here Jesus Christ is taking the understanding of the law far above the understanding that the scribes and Pharisees gave of a physical keeping of a physical commandment for a physical people in a physical location. All of those things are true and all of them are real and God meant every word that he said but far beyond and far above the law is the fact that God does not see as man sees. God's ways are higher than man's ways. God's thoughts are not man's thoughts and man's thoughts are not God's thoughts. God is much higher and when God looks upon man, God is so holy and God is so pure and God is so perfect that what we consider a tiny little sin is in the sight of God of, of such importance and of such unholiness and of such wickedness and of such sinfulness that the result is the lake of fire for eternity. He says here in verse 23, Therefore if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar. Speaking of the sacrifices that they would bring to the temple, and he says, Go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Verse 27, Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Again, still quoting the law. Verse 28, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart and if thy right eye offend thee pluck it out and cast it from thee for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell and if thy right hand offend thee cut it off and cast it from thee cut it off and cast it from thee for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body 
body should be cast into hell. And he goes on in that passage. But here he speaks of cutting off. And the circumcision is a cutting off. And Jesus Christ is saying there must be a cutting off of sins. There must be a separation from sin. There must be a turning from sin. Now, Jesus here is not teaching people to pluck out their eyes or cut off their hands. He's saying it would be better if that could keep you out of hell to cut off your hand and pluck out your eye. And he wasn't kidding, and he meant it literally. But he also went on and taught that cutting off your hand and plucking out your eye is not enough to get you into heaven. You've got to have something greater. And this is the whole purpose and the whole point of our text in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11. We are circumcised in Him that the body of sins, not just the eye, not just the hand, not just the flesh of the foreskin, that the whole body of the sins of the flesh should be cut off in Christ. This is the answer To that great dilemma, to the great sin problem, is the body of Jesus Christ, the soul and the spirit of Jesus Christ. He's three in one. Jesus kept God's law. Jesus fulfilled God's law. Secondly, Christ in his soul was circumcised in his soul. Let's go to Luke 2 again. Several verses in Luke, quickly. Luke chapter 2 and verse 51. Here Jesus had begun his ministry at 13 years of age. In a sense, he had begun his ministry. He hadn't, he hadn't entirely, but he was sitting here answering questions, um, sitting in the midst of the doctors in verse 46, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Now here when Jesus could have began his ministry, his mother and Joseph found him, which the Bible plainly says in verse 43. And any Bible that substitutes his father and his mother is lying. And it's a corrupt text because Jesus' father is God, not Joseph. Now down here, Jesus' mother says, Thy father and I have stopped thee sorrowing. Well, she just so happens to be human. And God perfectly recorded and preserved her imperfect words in this sense, in this, in this place where she used the word father. We won't get into all the reasons, but nowhere in the Bible does God call Joseph Jesus' father. Jesus answered them, <clears throat> How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. Here is the God of the universe who created all things and his human mother and his fleshly stepfather, the man who was to raise him as a father, but not his true father because he's the only begotten of the father in heaven, did not understand him. They did not understand what he was doing, but look at verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. Jesus Christ was subject to Joseph and his mother. Jesus Christ was patient and waited for God to bring to pass the promise of God. Now go to Luke 4 too. 
The Bible says in 4.1, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. Now here he went for forty days and did eat nothing. And afterward he was hungered. So here Jesus fasted, and Jesus hungered, and Jesus brought his soul into subjection to the Spirit. Jesus was tempted by the devil in chapter 4, verse 2. The Bible says of Christ that he was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Christ was rejected and misrepresented. He was maligned. He was slandered. He was libeled. Everything that they could do to him, they did. Go to chapter 4 and verse 30 and look what his own people did. It says in verse 28, And all they in the synagogue, when they heard those things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him under the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. They wanted to kill him. But it says, but he passing through the midst of them went his way. In Luke 5, 16, it says, and he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. If you have the word of God, which we have in the King James Bible in English, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus Christ was circumcised physically according to the keeping of the law. He was circumcised in the sense that the prophet would cry to the children of Israel, circumcise your hearts, come to God, put off the flesh in its deeds. Jesus Christ was in all points tempted, like as we are yet without sin. And God says there that wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus Christ in the heart lived a life that would be circumcised in the heart. And then thirdly, Christ was cut off spiritually for our sins, which is a spiritual circumcision. Go to the book of Isaiah quickly. We are very close to done here. I appreciate your time and your patience. May God bless you for taking time to listen to his word. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. We're going to hone in on verse 8. But we're going to start here in verse 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. By context, the arm of the Lord that will be revealed, that will be reported on, shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off. He was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. And that goes back to that Abrahamic covenant. Moving on, he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Go to Luke 23 again. Quickly, Luke chapter 23. Starting with his crucifixion. There's so much here. Please read the whole chapter. Read it parallel to Isaiah 53. Look at Luke 23. We're going to verse 33, I believe. Here's where they put him to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. That word crucified means they nailed him to the cross with his bloody bruised body. And they hung him up between heaven and earth on that old wooden cross. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left... Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots, and the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? 
He was numbered with the transgressors. Here this man on the cross said to the other man on the cross about Jesus Christ on the cross, thou art in the same condemnation. He said this, we're in the same trouble Jesus is in, he said. Jesus was numbered with the transgression. And this man said, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And that's faith. He's looking at a man dying on the cross. And he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He believed God. And God counted it to him for righteousness. Look at verse 43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. The circumcision of Christ satisfies all of God's holy and righteous demands. We'll finish right here in Colossians 2 with our starting text. It says... Verse 10, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Verse 11, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ.